Good morning. <laughs> she beat me to it. She said good morning. Greeted me first. It was fantastic. I'm going to miss that song next week. It's fun to walk out here and have good energy with y'all and have fun here this morning. We're closing out this series today. What is love that we've been walking through three weeks now? This will be week four. And so if you haven't joined us throughout the duration of this thing, that's okay. I wanted to pull into frame what we've talked about as we walk through as we move into today. So week one, Glenn, or week one I talked, actually not Glenn, I talked on the supremacy of love, right? And how everything we read in the scriptures, everything we hang our faith on, how we live this out, how we relate, all of this stuff, it all hangs on the idea of loving God and loving others as we love ourselves. And that love is a really, really big deal. And then in week two, Glenn talked about our tendency to turn love into a kind of transaction where you love to get love or you do things to get from other people as opposed to real love, which is actually unconditional, the way that God loves us. That was week two. Then in week three, Glenn talked about this idea that it's not just enough to think about loving people or to be a person who just expresses or has that sentiment, but that we actually need to do something. We need to show people in a tangible way so that they can experience the fact that they are loved, right? And, and that that becomes a powerful experience. And that those are the three weeks we've led up to. And now today we're in week four. And today, as we go to close this thing out, I actually want to talk to us all about this idea of love, this aspect of love that's actually a hidden struggle, I think, within Christianity. And I'm going to explain a little later what I mean by why I would call it a hidden struggle. Um, and if you're a person who is here with us today and for whatever reason you don't call yourself a Christian or you're just exploring this or trying to figure this thing, this thing out, I want you to know that even when we're talking about a hidden aspect or a hidden struggle of Christianity, that this is relevant for you as well. Because I have to believe that by nature of the fact that you would join us, that there's some part of a genuine relationship with God. There's some part of faith and love in an honest and real way that you're looking for or that you hope to experience. And so this is for all of us. But I want you to know, this isn't a theological struggle. This isn't something that's just in our heads. It's not just a struggle of the intellect to understand something. It's a very practical one. It is a very human struggle and it's very real. I would go so far as to say, I think each and every one of us at some point will experience this or has experienced this at some point. And the struggle is this. I think we know that love is a really big deal. When it comes to Christianity, I think we know that love is a really big deal, but we struggle to remain in love. That's what, that's what I wanna talk about today, this idea of struggling to remain in love. And I don't mean we struggle to keep all the feels. That's not what I'm talking about, like this kind of heightened sense of emotion or something. I just, we struggle to remain in love. And I'm gonna unpack that as we go. To do so, we're gonna look at one passage here for a good length of time here this morning, and it's in 1 John, just one verse, and it's chapter four, verse 16. We spent some time in week one in chapter four and we got right up to this part and then stopped. And so we're gonna look at verse 16 here. And I wanna read it with you all uh, today. It says this, so we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. God is love. And whoever abides in love abides in God and God abides in him. It's really short. So I'm gonna read it one more time in case you're just kind of listening with us. So we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. God is love. And whoever abides in love abides in God and God abides in him. I want us to look at the first sentence for a little bit here this morning. The first sentence in that passage, it says, so we have come to know and believe the love that God has for us, right? That's what I think many of your Bibles probably say. You may, if you're reading the NIV, it might read a little differently. The NIV has a hard time with this passage and tries to paraphrase it a bit. Uh, I'm reading from the English Standard Version this morning. 
But when we look at this first sentence, it says there yeah, that there's, there's a couple of things that are happening that I wanna take a look at. John tells us that each of us as Christians, right? So that when we come to become followers of Christ, we know Christ, we, we end up having these two experiences. We, we end up gaining two things. The first that he articulates here is knowledge. There's a certain kind of knowledge. And the second that he articulates is belief, right? He says, we have come to have knowledge of, and we've come to believe in. Now, the word he uses for knowledge here is this word. It's a Greek word. The word is gnosko. You don't have to memorize that or anything. All it means, there's, a, there's different words for knowledge in the Greek. This word has a relational component to it. This isn't simply memorizing a fact in your dictionary, right? Or like an encyclopedia or, or Wikipedia page, however you want to put that, where you'd look and you would go, okay, there's this fact. That's true. I know it. It's written in black and white. There it is. This word is the same word I would use to say, I know my wife, Amber. I don't know her like a fact on a page. I know her because I have relationship with her. There's an experience that I've had with her and all of that informs my knowledge to the degree that I can now stand in a place and go, I know my wife, Amber. And there's, some, there's depth to that. Do you see this? There's a way of relating to it. This is the word that's used here. So we have this knowledge, John says. You've got this knowledge, you know something and you relate to something and in this way. And it's not just that you have this knowledge because of the way you've related to something, you also have belief. You also have belief in it, right? We know it personally, but we also rest our lives on it and it holds us. We believe in it. These are two really big ideas, two really big things. And the question is, so then what is it that we know and what is it that we believe in? right? What is this knowledge and this belief based in? And this, friends, I'm walking you through this kind of structured for a reason. This is where our English Bibles have a really hard time with this verse. And it's a really subtle difference, but I think it's really big. And our English Bibles, when we read it, right, it says, so we have come to know and believe the love that God has for us, right? It's what it, it's what it says. But in the Greek, if you were to read this more literally, a translation would be, so we have come to know and believe the love that God has in us, I want you to think about the difference between those two sentences. They might seem really subtle, but what you take from that actually becomes really big. In the first sentence, there's a, there's a way of looking at this. If you read it that way, in the way that many of our English Bibles are trying to grapple with this, and they do a really good job. It's just one where they would need to paraphrase to capture some of this, and they're trying to be as literal as they can, right? But if you read it the way that our English Bibles do, you'd end up saying, and you'd have the tendency the sentence ends, and you'd go, okay, so I have this knowledge of and this belief in the fact that God loves us and that, he ha or that God has love to give and that it's for us. When you read it that way, though, it's almost like it's outside of you. It's almost like there's this good and beautiful God and he's there and he loves us and that's there. And you're like, yes, I believe in that God. I believe in that thing. Do you know what I mean? I believe in this. When you read it in the original Greek, which you come to see, that word in us, a way of translating this would be that we have come to know and believe in the love of God because of how we have experienced it in our actual lives. It is in us. It's the idea of it like resonating inside of you to the degree that you go, I know this. I know what this is. The degree that that experience would move you and shape you to where you'd say, I, I, I put my belief here. I, I believe in it. There's something powerful about it. See, John is telling us that there's this good and beautiful experience of love that followers of Christ know. They know it and they believe it because they've experienced it within themselves. They've had this moment at some point in time or series of moments, but whatever reason, this genuine experience with God somehow where they go, that love is real. 
And I know it and I believe in it. This is good news because what this means is he's, he's trying to articulate, these aren't people who are looking through the binoculars of life at other people going, look how much God just loves that person. I believe that God's loving. You get to take the binoculars down and just experience it. It's not like you're looking through a telescope at somebody from abroad or somebody far away or a story from history or a moment. You're, you're standing there going, I am loved by God. And this experience has so reached into me that it's moved me. It's changed me. It's powerful. You know, I remember when I first became a Christian, I was a younger person and God was just so big to me. And I remember the moment I realized that the big, big God that created all things and sustains all things, that that God who's so big and so massive and so powerful that he actually loved me. I had this weird experience of being deeply humbled by that because who am I for God to love me in this way? And I felt kind of weird about it almost like, wow. But also this really joyous experience of what it was to experience unconditional love. Be humbled by it, but it's so good at the same time. That moved me and impacted me to the degree that I was like, I call myself a Christian now. Like something about this is different for me and I wanna base my life on this. I, I know something and I want this for other people. It changed something in me. It's a powerful experience of the love of God. Then years later, I was in college and I had time between classes on one particular day and it was a beautiful sunny day outside and I thought, why well, go sit indoors and just like, you know, let time pass. I'm gonna go outside, I'm gonna go to a park. So I went to a park and I sat on a bench and I was gonna kill time between these two classes. And I pulled out my Bible and I just opened it up to 1 Corinthians 13. And I, I read the first opening verses of that, which I read with you all in week one of this series. And as I, as I read through those verses, you gotta remember, this is a time in my life where I was trying really hard to like be a someone and to like, you know, find a career and figure out all the things and have a life and be an adult and, you know, all those different things that exist in that time that you're trying to figure out in college. All of this energy and all of this effort and all of this striving. And I read those opening verses and realized, whoa, without love, what's the point of all this stuff that I'm doing? But with love, man, it makes all of this so powerful. With love, there's like a full and beautiful life here. There's like something in this for me to move forward and that, that has power and depth to it. That moved me. I started writing like furiously in my journal. The next time I looked at my clock, I realized I missed my next class. <laughs> worth it. If you're a parent, you're probably looking at your kid going, it wasn't worth it, go to class. It was a really meaningful moment in my life. Years later after that, I found myself working here at Casas and I spent a year unpacking and studying grace, wrestling with it, because I come to realize that I had this very human-centric view of grace where all I focused on in my definition of the word was our inability and our less thereof, like lack thereof, of, you know, to get this. And I completely was missing the beautiful gift that God gives. And when scripture actually speaks about it, it's not speaking totally about our lack. It's trying to amplify the abundance of what God has to give you when he gives you grace. There's this good and beautiful gift and we leave that out. And I came to realize that grace in and of itself is favor. It's the very favor of God. Whether you deserve it or not, he gives it. And he gives it, I realized, because he loves you. And then I was like, and why? Because he does. There's something about that soaking in as I studied through all this. I remember one particular day I'd been reflecting on this and studying and writing. And I left the church offices and I went to drive home. I got to Lambert and Camino de Oeste and I was so moved by just the magnitude of God's love and how much he just freely gives it that tears just started to pour down my face, which is weird while you're driving. You know, everybody's probably, I'm like, stop sign, everybody thinks I'm in a crisis, like something's happening. It got to the spot where when I hit the curve, it, it you know, Pecos way, right? I had to pull off into the dirt because I didn't think it was safe to keep driving. And I just wept in my car, not out of sadness, just this genuine sense of joy. 
at the magnitude and the depth and the breadth of the very love of God has so deeply impacted me. I thought, man, this is so powerful. See, these are the, I've had a couple of these moments in my life. So have you. This is what John's getting at of these, these times, these experiences. Sometimes it's big experiences like I just described. Sometimes it's a ton of small little ones that all stacked up into a larger realization. But you came to experience and you came to know that God loves you. For each of us who calls ourselves Christians, this became that transformative moment. For God so loved the world, for God so loved me that he gave his only son. I embrace this, I accept this. There's this a transaction of love, so to speak. Not because you bought it, he just gives it to you. And what happens is it turns you over, changes you, it becomes very powerful in you. So good. Everybody who has chosen to become a Christ follower at some point in time has, has had some kind of notion of how God really loves me. You've had this too. This is why John writes to us, to the church. And he says, you have come to know and to believe the love that God has in you. Right here. You know it. You put your belief in it. Friends, if you've had that experience, can I pause this this morning? Can I just ask you? Don't answer out loud. Just think to yourself, what was that for you? I mean, think about it for just a second. Call it into your frame of mind. Call it up like so that you can see it. When did you come to really experience the love of God for yourself. When was that for you? And if you're frustrated right now, because it sounds like I'm trying to ask you to draw to a magic moment and maybe you didn't have some big moment, that's okay. Maybe it was a season of time. Maybe it was a series of small moments and conversations and people, and eventually something just soaked into the degree that you knew this and you believed it. That's okay too. When was that? What was that for you? Was it a single experience? Was it a whole season of experiences? And I want you to keep taking a moment to actually think about it. Remember who you were. Remember where you were. Remember what happened. Remember what it was like for you. And if you're able to hold that in your head, if that resonates with you, then I want to also ask you this question. And now in that season or in that particular moment, how did that love so impact you? How did it impact you? What did it move in you? What did it stir? What did it open you up to? What impact did it have on you? What was it like? And what was it about that moment that left you saying, I'm a Christian? Not as some definitive doctrinal statement because there's something about the love of Christ where you're like, I know this. I believe this. I want my life to be about this. See, I'm asking you to call this to mind because Christianity at its core, Christianity at its very core is an ongoing experience with the love of God expressed through Christ in us. That experience, that in us moment matters. This is what John's calling to mind. He's saying, you have this and you know this. He's calling this to mind to a population that he was writing to that was struggling with different beliefs and people were trying to say, maybe it's like this or maybe it's like this. And John's going, no, you already know this, not because it's up here, because it's in here. You've experienced something good and beautiful and it's opened you up to trust and believe in it, to have the knowledge of it. This is huge. This is also why in the next line, he says what? God is love. That's the second time he said that in chapter four. Do you know this? Is he being redundant? Maybe. I think he's just really trying to emphasize this thing, to drop that in and go, I want to recenter us back in on that experience that we all know and believe and trust and have had. And I want you to know God is love. You are in good place. You're in 
good company. And then he writes this, God is love and whoever abides in love abides in God and God abides in him. The word that the ESV translates as abide, that some of your Bibles will translate as remain, is meno. That's the Greek word meno. Quite simply right here, it just means uh, to continue in or to remain. So all he's saying here is he writes, is John saying, I want you to center back in that experience, that thing that you know, that thing that you believe, not because it's outside you that you looked at with binoculars, but because you've experienced it for yourself. I want you to let that resonate fully in you. And he goes, God is love. That's where he is. He's in that moment. He's in with you now. Don't leave it. Don't set that aside and walk away to something else. Remain in it. Continue on in it. Hold it. This is yours as you go through life, not just in this moment in your seat, but in your lives. It's a really big thing that he's articulating, a really big deal. See, this is why I refer to something that I think is a hidden struggle in Christianity. There's all kinds of struggles in Christianity that we're honest about, that we talk about, right? There's the struggle of doubt sometimes. Like we, that, one, that one gets talked about here and there, especially in recent years. That's been talked about a lot more, I've found. The people are far more open to, the, to that struggle these days than maybe they they used to be. Or we, we hear about a struggle with this kind of sin or this kind of behavior, or this thing that's not good. Or we have a struggle sometimes with belief in something. You know, the thing we rarely talk about is our struggle to love, to remain in love. It's this thing that we just kind of gloss over and yet it's the deepest of it. It's, it's like the most primal thing that exists within the heart of Christianity. It's, it's at the core of this thing, but we, we really don't talk about that very often. We often find ourselves going to doctrine or going to interpretation or going to some kind of historical moment or going to some kind of view or checkpoint or stand, stand on an issue. We rarely talk about this thing, but it's powerful. It's there. This is why John even writes to remind us, stay here, don't leave this because he knows that we struggle with this. He knows it's hard. The truth is we have a tendency to drift. We find ourselves centered in a place of loving God, being loved by God and loving others, right? Centered in that experience. I'll say it again, being loved by God and then loving God and loving others. That that's like at the center of all of this. And then stuff happens in our lives and for whatever reason, good, right, wrong, bad, we just have a tendency to drift into suddenly moving away from that centered place into something else. We have a tendency to drift. I want you to think of my experiences I shared with you today. That wasn't just like a long-winded explanation of moments in my life. <laughs> I want you to think about how I started each of those encounters, how I started each of those descriptions. Do you notice that each of those sentences started with, and then years later, <laughs> Do you notice that? It kind of begs a question, doesn't it? Well, what happened in all the space between? That was a span of a lot of years that I just articulated those three different moments. What, it was, what about all the space in between? Well, the truth is there were moments in there where I remained centered in loving God, loving others, experiencing that love for myself. And then there were a lot of moments that I drifted where that stopped being the thing I was centered in. You know, there was times where I was centered in love, but in other times there were moments of uncertainty, moments of confusion. You know, during those times of uncertainty and confusion, I stopped centering myself in the love of God and I began to pursue theology and doctrine. I did. You know, theology and doctrine are really good things. I have a degree in theology and I love talking about that. I'm a person who likes argument, so there's a part where like a lot of that like makes sense to me. Like I, I click with a lot of that. I love it, but I used to, I drifted there not because I wanted to love people better, experience the love of God more, or somehow be grounded and centered in what love was. I drifted there because I wanted to be right and certain and tell other people that they were wrong. 
That was important to me. And so I studied and tried to figure things. I drifted, do you see this? That was a season of my life. There were other moments where I doubted myself or I messed up along the way. And I find myself thinking, am I good with God? Are we okay here? Does he feel like I'm slacking? Does he feel like I'm good? Does he feel like I'm okay? Those are the seasons where I started to drift too. Interestingly enough, the way I drifted in those moments is I'm like, I'm gonna read my Bible every day at this time for this length of time because if I just do this and God sees my dedication and determination, I'll know that he likes me. I'll know that we're cool and that we're good. Is reading your Bible bad? No, your Bible's a beautiful thing. I have found that the Bible has become more and more beautiful with each passing year to me. It gets deeper and deeper. I, I love it. But it's not my certainty and my security that God loves me. If I end up on a desert island with no Bible, I still will know that God absolutely loves me. Not because the Bible is less important, but because he does. And my faith is in him. Do you see what I'm saying? This is big. But I drift off center from that place of love. And things got complicated. There are also times where I was hurt or frustrated or disappointed. I'm going through all these because some of us know what this is like. Moments of hurt or frustration and you get to that spot where I was so focused on fairness or some kind of justice needing to occur because of something wrong that I'd experienced or something I didn't like that that became my center and I just shifted away from love. The truth is God himself isn't ultimately centered in justice. That might ruffle some feathers, but I just want you to think about the message of the cross. If God himself was most centered in justice, we wouldn't be sitting here. A very unjust thing happened to Jesus Christ that we might not receive that which was just. Do you think about this? Love is the core, friends. Deep entrenched in who we are as Christians. It's that experience that we know in us that moves through us. I think there's probably a whole lot of reasons why we drift at times. I wanna ask you the question here this morning. What makes you drift? Right, if we've called to mind that experience of what it is to know the love of God, well, what do the seasons of your life look like? What are the moments and things where you find yourself drifting from that place being your center, if that makes sense? Standing in it fully, the love of God, loving God in return, being a person who loves others, this core thing. What makes you drift? Is it just kind of happenstance or apathy for some of us? I think some of us maybe are like the person who gets in a raft, you know, just to relax at the sea. <laughs> And you get in and you lay down and you close your eyes because the sun and the water feels good and you open your eyes a half an hour later and you're like, when did the shore get so far away and how did I end up adrift out here? You didn't mean to, it just sort of happened. Hey, that, that happens to the best of us. Have you drifted towards the need to absolutely be right and needing others to know how wrong they are and it's moved you away from a place of love? You'll know this if you find that you're closed off to actually knowing people or understanding people because you've already defined and labeled them before you got there. Our hearts just kind of close up and we find that this thing took our center and love isn't around anymore. It's hard. Is it hurt and resentment? I think for some of us, the truth is you probably have walked through some really hard things. You might be walking through some really hard things right now. It's easy and fatigue and all of that stuff to let hurt and resentment start to build in us where it's just like, there's so much anger and there's so much frustration and hurt over all of this that I wanna be a loving person. It just it feels like this is the loudest voice right now for me. You struggle with that piece, we drift. Or is it certainty and security? Maybe your desire, because life is uncertain sometimes, right? And we don't always feel as secure as we'd like to navigating this life. Maybe sometimes your desire for certainty and security leaves you in a place where you keep from being centered in the love of God, loving others, experiencing that love, and it moves you to what you know and what you do because you can trust that because it's tangible and it's there. 
It's hard to just trust God to love you sometimes, isn't it? There's all sorts of reasons why we drift, friends, but we do. It's something we struggle with. And so, again, I'm, I'm sure with whatever that looks like for you, whatever those moments are, you're in good company. You're not bad for doing that or having that or so, so are all of us. I thought it might be productive to spend the rest of our time if we've acknowledged that this is true, if it's not so hidden as it was before. And we can say, yeah, we struggle with this sometimes. This is kind of hard. Maybe then to turn the corner and go, okay, so what do we do? How do we remain in love? And if I have drifted, how do I find my way back? And so I want to point to two things using the rest of our time, uh, two things to help us remain. And I want to point to one thing at the, in closing to help us find our way back if you're a person who feels like you've drifted. And we'll just jump into that. The first is this. If you want to remain in love, then you have to sustain it. This doesn't mean you have to earn it, but it does mean you have to sustain it. I think the best way to think of this, God so freely loves you, right? You have that, not because you have like some kind of merit or you did something better. And he's like, I love you more. Keep on going. Now I love you more. No, he just loves you. There's nothing you could do that's going to make that more or it's going to make that less. He's planted that in you, but you have to tend a garden. You have to keep a garden. I started gardening at the beginning of this pandemic. I shared that with you all and came to find out that it's actually very good. I love it. Like, I, I don't know if I like all of it all the time, but it's been very good. I've got two tomato plants, some carrots, like some beets and a whole host of herbs, and I hope they grow. Some of them are not looking so great. It's crazy because I've become aware that I can't make something grow. I can't just make it happen. And this is case in point, two tomato plants, identical tomato plants. They looked identical when I purchased them. I planted them in the same soil with the same light, with the same amount of water and the same everything. One of them is going so well, looks like it's doing awesome. The other one looks like I planted it with hatred and watered it with spite. It, it just is struggling in every aspect of it. And they're like the same thing. And it's so frustrating going like, why can't you just do what I want you to do? I've realized I can't make something grow any more than I can make God love me. But you know what I can do is I can pull weeds and I can prevent pests from invading my garden. I can make sure the things that will thwart growth and stop those things don't have space in there. And that's, that's a lot of work sometimes, if I'm really honest. I think the same is true in our lives, don't you? God loves you. He's planted that garden within you. You have come to know and believe. You have that thing. That, that is planted. It's not going anywhere. When was the last time you pulled the weeds? What pests want to invade your garden where you're like, I know this. I had a bad thing with these things called looper worms. I didn't even know what it was. I had to take a picture and like Google image search it to figure out what the thing even was. I now know what pests to look for and how to stop them. And so there's a part where I'm like vigilant to that. I know if it's going to creep into my garden, there's no space for it. I'm already on it. It's not going to eat all my plants anymore. What, what's the thing in your life that you know wants to creep into your garden? What's the thing in your life that when you're centered in love, you know it wants to make its way in and just take up all the space to where it just kind of pushes you off center there. What is that? Most of us have a sense of it over time. If not, it's a really good thing to think about because once you know it, you know what to look for. And when you know what to look for, you can, say, you can find yourself saying, and I'm just going to make life where there's no place for that. And I'm going to pay good attention so that when bitterness or anger comes in, I'm going to tend to it. I'm going to pull it up. I'm not going to give it room or space in my garden. So that when judgment or hostility wants to creep in and push everything else away, no, no, I need to water that soil with forgiveness and grace and mercy. So that when insecurity and certainty comes and tries to find its way into our garden, we pull that weed and we just stand in the place of recognizing it's okay to be a human being who doesn't know. God loves you. 
He has you. He's big enough to carry your life. Water it, tend it, keep it. Really, really important, friends. And here's the second one. If you want to remain in love, you have to fight to stay in it. This is a really important one, and here's why. The Bible uses these amazing words like abide, remain in, continue in, right? And we look at that, and I think in just our modern minds, we think that means he gives you that, just do nothing and enjoy it, stay there and have it. And and don't get me wrong, there's nothing you can do to get that, but keeping, like remaining in it is hard. And and we should acknowledge this at some point. It's hard. I know some of us want to get Zen and you're like, no, it doesn't. You just got to let go and just experience it. I get that. But here's a good example of why that falls short when you apply it out for a lifetime, right? I want you to think right now, if I tell you, I want you to, and we can use whatever word we want, abide in, remain in, continue in your chair for the next two days. Not a lifetime, not a month, not a week, not a crazy amount of time, just two days. Now, initially, if you think about it very rationally, I I just asked you to do nothing. Do nothing but stay where you are, right? And everybody goes, oh, that sounds so good. So free. Is it though? A couple hours from now, what happens when you got to use the bathroom? I'm being serious. What happens when you get really, really hungry and your stomach starts to groan? What happens when you find yourself feeling a little ill and you didn't expect that coming on and now you're just like, I just want to lay down. I don't want to sit in a chair. I want to be someplace else right now. What happens when you find yourself hearing about all the things people are doing outside of this room, but you're stuck sitting in the chair and you're like, but I have to remain here for two days and you have to think about that. Or what about stuff that's outside of your control? What happens if somebody walks in and says, excuse me, you're in my chair. That's my chair. This is church. And I claimed that years ago, right? What happens if somebody walks in here and ultimately is like, I need to clean this place. We need to turn the lights off and you need to leave. And you just sit and you're like, I must remain. How's that going to go? Remaining is really, really hard. Do you see this? When you apply it for about 10 minutes, it sounds so easy, and it is. There's a peace and a freedom that comes with it, but it's also a fight and a struggle at times to do so. It is. If you know you want to be centered in love and God's already given that and he's planted that in your garden, remain. Right now, that's like, yes, I'm remaining. That's so good. Thank you for loving me. And then what happens tomorrow when someone's just absolutely rude to you and bitterness and hostility wants to creep its way into your heart and you, where you want to judge them and define them like you are God? What happens then? See, that's when the fight starts, isn't it? I use the word fight not to over-dramatize, to apply effort here. It's important that we actually understand there's, there's will to this. There is a part of sustaining this that we engage with our lives. This is important here, friends. What's that for you? I, I say this all the time. It, it's just something to think about. Decide before that moment ever happens what you would like to do to remain. This is so huge. What happens is we often find ourselves in the moment where it's like, I'm gonna remain in this chair and then somebody knocked me out of it. And now I've got a lot of thoughts. I've got a lot of one second solutions that are terrible. Let your wise mind that's sitting here thoughtfully think about, if you wanna remain in love, what do you want to do? When that moment comes where you know you're going to have to fight, how are you going to fight? And then can I challenge you not to do something? Don't go with the easy answer that's never worked for you in history. We have this thing where we just spit out an answer and then if I find myself going, and does, has that actually been like a thing that, that is, you found has really helped you in those moments? People are like, no, <laughs> no, but it sounded good. Don't do that. What's actually going to help you? 
What's actually going to work? It'll be a little different for each person. Spend some time thinking about that so that you can commit to it. So, you know, man, I want to stay centered in my experience of the love of God and the fact that God loves me so that I can love others really well. This is my This is what I want centered. I want my life centered on this. So what am I going to do when the moment comes that it's hard to remain? That's a powerful thought to have. It's a powerful discussion to have with someone you care about. Partner together in this. You're not alone. And that brings me to the third and final thing here, friends, and it's this. If you've drifted out of love, make your way back. I know that sounds really simple, but I think it's worth saying. I think a lot of times, because we talk about love in our culture, in our lives, like we just fall into it. Like it just randomly shows up in our lives. Like it's just, and so when we drift out of love, we then go, God, when are you going to love me again? And we're like, when are you going to show me this profound moment? When are you going to make me cry like Ryan on the side of the road? Right? And I think the reality is sometimes that's good, but it's a gifts when those moments happen. There's a lot of life lived in the space between there. It, your life is too important. Find your way back to that space. It, it, it's a really big deal. It, it's too costly to just sit that one out when an obstacle comes your way. I went snorkeling years ago, two and a half years ago, actually, with my daughter. We were in Costa Rica on the Caribbean side, and there was this beautiful reef and we didn't know anything about it. It's not like a thing we paid for. It was just there. I love snorkeling and I brought snorkel stuff for me and my family. And I was like, let's go there. It's right there. Let's go swim. And so I took my daughter, my youngest. It was her first time ever snorkeling. And we're swimming around. And we're like two ADD people just going crazy, like pointing at all the colorful coral and the fish. And you swim there and you swim here. And I'm holding her hand and she's dragging me and I'm dragging her. And we're having this blast of a time. It's so good. And then all of a sudden I look up and there's a piece of coral that's like grown all the way up and level almost with the surface of the water. And it's one of those things where you've been staring down and you suddenly look up and you realize, I'm gonna swim into that. Coral's jagged and it's got all kinds of like parasitic types of things in it that like make you bleed and sting and hurt and cause infection. And, and you don't wanna mess with it. You don't wanna touch, you also can ruin a beautiful thing. You don't wanna touch it. And so I look up and I point at it to my daughter and she looks up and then she starts swimming around like crazy and she's dragging me and at one point she's going to swim into it and I push her away from it. And I accidentally swim into the coral, pushing her away. The force of me pushing her did that. And I, my arm is all bloody and stinging and we both swim out of the water and get on the beach and she is crying and she is done and she never wants to snorkel again. And she's resigned herself to the beach because this happened and I hate this and now this is what's important. I'm never getting in the water because these things matter all because one obstacle pushed her out. Friends, if you find yourself in this life where you're trying to stay centered in a place of love and you encounter something that's hard or for whatever reason it causes you to drift or it pushes you out of that, don't resign yourself to the beach. I looked at my daughter and I was just like, Kiddo, you just looked at all of the most beautiful things that we never get to see. There's like there's this color and there's life and vibrancy and this whole amazing world and it's right there. We are in Costa Rica. This is incredible. Come on. And we walked out to a place in the water that was a little easier where that big piece of coral wasn't and I got her back in and it's because I just thought, I think she's about to never do this again and just forget the goodness and the beauty that was there. And this is my worry for us as a church, for Christians in general, for people, friends. I think sometimes we drift out of love and then other things become more important and we resign ourselves to the beach and we forget that it's in the love of God being expressed to us and through us and to the world around us. That's where it's all vivid color. That's where the vibrancy is. That's where the life is. That's where the fullness of it all is. It's all right there. Don't settle for the beach. You gotta make your way back into the water. 
That looks different for all of us. It does. There's a whole host of ways to do that. I found myself reflecting uh, on some of the words of Psalm 139 this week, just reflecting and reminiscing on the love of God as a way of moving back. That's like a step. You do that. There's a bigger step you can take, though, and I want to close with this. I'm actually going to read you a passage. This isn't another sermon, I promise, but there's some words here, but it's so potent, so powerful, so hang with me. John 15, 9 through 12 says this. Jesus is speaking. This isn't first John, Gospel of John. These are the words of Christ. He says, as the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now remain in my love. I think John was quoting this all along. If you keep my command, you will remain in my love just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in his love. I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and your joy may be complete. And then he tells us exactly what to do. If you want to remain in his love, he says exactly what it is. He goes, my command is this. So overt. Ready? Here it is. Love each other as I have loved you. If you wanna know how to stay in the love of God, to remain in the love of God, love each other as Christ has loved you. If you've drifted and you wanna know how to find your way back, love each other as Christ has loved you. If you find yourself in a place where something else has just made its way in your heart and you don't know what to do and you're like, how do I deal with this and what about that? I know it's really complicated and I mean that sincerely, but you can start by loving each other just as Christ has loved you. It's your step, friends. It's right there. It'll take effort at times. You'll have to fight for it and others, but there's a beautiful garden to tend because you have a good and beautiful life that's ready to preach and share the gospel of Christ with others, that that love might be made known in a much larger way through you, through us all. There's good things ahead. Let's pray. God, we love you. We do. We love you because you love us. Not in this selfish kind of way. We just don't know what to do with it. Thank you that it overflows in our life. Thank you for how deep it goes. God, for those of us this morning that sometimes just struggled with the drift, I think we all do, Lord, in some way. Help us to just have eyes to see the things that pull us or tug at us in different directions, that we might know what it is to tend our garden. Give us endurance and courage and just the wherewithal to actually fight in the moments that we need to remain. And for those of us that have found ourselves adrift, Lord, trying to find our way back. Open our eyes to the people around us that are there for us to love, that that experience might come alive within us again. We love you. We praise you. In Jesus' name, amen. Good to see you, friends. See you soon.